Hello, and welcome to Argus's Crude Report, a podcast series on global crude oil markets. This is Jessica Tran for Argus Media, and I'm joined today by my colleagues, Deputy Editor Amanda Smith and reporter Alex Endress. One of July's big stories was Chevron's $13 billion acquisition of Noble Energy, who have assets in three U.S. shale oil plays, Texas's Permian Eaton Eagleford Basins and Colorado's Denver Julesburg or DJ Basin. Seeing that Chevron has a substantial U.S. refining network and trading operations, Noble seems like a match made in heaven. Amanda, how does Noble's U.S. assets fit within Chevron's existing structure and ultimately their business goals? Yeah, so the the piece of the Noble deal that may fit best with Chevron's existing U.S. footprint is in the Permian. So Noble has about 92,000 net acres in the Delaware Basin, and it actually sits adjacent to Chevron's larger existing position. Um, So that creates some room for efficient further development um, with the drilling and with the uh, pipeline infrastructure in the area and for that to be built out more when the crude prices support the economics of more development there. Chevron CEO Mike Worth had uh, talked about how getting better in the Permian is more important than getting bigger. Chevron there, they've used what they call a factory approach in the Permian, where multiple wells are drilled and completed simultaneously to gain efficiency and speed. So they're going to be able to connect the two properties and continue to develop them, but develop them together. Chevron called Noble's acreage a bolt-on to its existing position, and so that acreage is going to be able to be combined. And there's some uncertainty over prospects for some planned U.S mid-continent midstream infrastructure. So um, that kind of makes the Permian even more attractive. Um, so this, for example, Philip 66 has paused final decision on a couple of pipelines that they were previously scheduled for next year. So the Red Oak JV with planes that would transport crude from the Cushing and Permian to the Texas coast and a uh, Liberty joint venture with Bridger was to move Rockies and Bakken production to Cushing. So, but the Permian already has more access to the Gulf Coast already built where crude can then be exported. So really um, this may offer it the uh, strongest growth opportunities. So, you know, further north in the DJ basin, Chevron said it also plans to use the same factory model or manufacturing model approach that Amanda mentioned they're doing um, in the Permian. They also have a nearby refinery in Salt Lake City, a 45,000 barrel a day refinery. Currently runs a mix of regional and Canadian grades, and that could offer one outlet for some of this acreage that Noble's produced at roughly 70,000 barrels a day at last count. Now, commenting on the acquisition, Severon has suggested that DJ should be thought of as more of a mature version of some of their other shale and tie positions, um, such as the Duvernay in Canada and the Vaca Muerte in Argentina, where the company is actually earlier in the cycle. Now, they've said that Noble has de-risked the DJ, and so you know it has a, a strong uh, current production and and then they think that the the team there that has been operating that acreage has understood the geology and they've commented that some of this acreage in primarily rural areas like Weld County has had a strong track record so if you look at South Texas also Nobles had modest Eagleford volumes there that uh, have been a bit more what we would call uh, mature assets So that could fall into a category for Chevron to ultimately look to sell. 
course, that would depend on sufficient improvement in market conditions. Now, Chevron's also commented on the midstream business that they've acquired. Uh, so they've acquired an established midstream business that they've said is closely linked to uh, Noble's Permian, DJ, and more mature Eagleford positions. And they've said that this is kind of really uh, tightly integrated into those production areas and is important for the efficient development of those areas. And they've now they've said there's also you know some synergies there they could take advantage of in terms of you know partially headcount. Maybe there are some redundancies in corporate functions. May also look into you know supply chain for procurement efficiencies. Some of these things um, may fit better than others for Chevron's overall portfolio, but I guess it, it may remain to be seen in the future what they end up keeping and, and what becomes more of a long-term growth strategy or part of their long-term growth strategy. So reports show that in the first quarter of this year, Noble's U.S. liquids output was a little over half from the DJ Basin, a third from the Permian Basin, and the rest from Eagleford. I know Chevron hasn't said much publicly, but what do we think Chevron will do with the production from Noble? So Chevron is in a different position than Noble is in that it's a large integrated um, company, so it has its refining assets. Talking to market sources to suggest that Chevron's not necessarily likely to direct much of the uh, Noble production towards its own refineries, or if it does, it wouldn't change the overall amount of light crude that they run and that they would already be running as much light crude as possible. Chevron did buy a 100,000 barrel per day light crude refinery in Pasadena, Texas, near Houston last year from Brazil's Petrobras, and that does run Permian crude. Its other facility on the Gulf Coast is the 340,000 barrel per day Pascagoula plant in Louisiana, but that's geared towards running heavy crude. And then Alex already mentioned Chevron Salt Lake City refinery. In the second quarter, Noble Energy produced 113,000 total barrels per day of crude in the U.S., um, crude and condensate. And in the current price environment, with uh, crude inventory so high, demand uncertain, it's unlikely that either Noble or Chevron are going to really put any capital activity into increasing their production um, in these areas until uh, the COVID-19 impact diminishes. So, so right now, the market's not really calling for a lot more development. But as that impact diminishes, the overhang in supplies falls, and Chevron develops the, especially the Permian, as they're going to do it together, bring on new capacity, drill new wells. It'll probably look like that they will export additional light crude uh, from the assets that they will be acquiring. With a view to enhancing its export options, Chevron last year signed a long-term crude transport and storage agreement with a midstream firm, Enterprise products partners for the proposed deep water export terminal called Spot Seaport Oil Terminal off the coast of Freeport, Texas. The Spot facility would have the capacity to load very large uh, crude carriers, VLCCs, at a rate of around 2 million barrels per day. But now Enterprise does not expect to get the federal uh, approval of that this year, following requests by regulators for more information. But it shows that Chevron is you know, definitely interested in increasing their export capacity. And with all of this in mind, and with the market the way it is, Alex, do you think we'll see more M&A activity in the near future? Yeah, so there are um, several factors to look at here and several different kind of scenarios also to consider. Obviously, 
there have been more bankruptcies caused by this demand destruction from COVID-19, um, which could lead to more distressed assets. At a closer glance, you know, we, we think that Chevron may be uniquely advantaged. And so this may be kind of a rarer type of acquisition. So outside of other oil majors, we may see smaller deals, you know, maybe with um, private equity involvement or, you know, instead of these large acquisitions of, um, you know, larger independents, we may have buyers just to acquire certain individual assets that fit in with their long-term strategies. Largely, it, it may just depend on um, whether or not companies think we've really seen the bottom of the demand crash and if they can really afford to take on more debt since you know most of the companies that might be on the block are more are, are riskier and you know banks may not necessarily be excited about lending a lot of money to energy these days but you know overall it, it could just be a matter of the right price and the right field for the right company so if we look at what some companies have said uh, recently in, in earnings the ceo of diamondback a, a permian producer they said that on the private side, there are just not that many opportunities out there, truthfully, in terms of tier one acreage. And now if you look at Continental, which is focused in the Bakken, they sound a little bit more excited. So they've said that teams are, are working diligently, looking for these unique opportunities, and they called it a unique window of time. And so they said that they may be getting some traction there. But you know, overall, again, I think for these larger types of deals, Chevron's kind of a, a potentially a unique case. But if we just talk kind of what we've seen in terms of the amount of bankruptcies, I mean, in the second quarter, the number of bankruptcies that we saw was the highest in four years. So there probably will be some some distressed assets out there and, and certain isolated mid-continent plays. So considering areas like Scoop Stack in Oklahoma, where you know they've had some inconsistent production issues, areas that you may look at uh, long-term transportation capacity risk, like in, in the Bakken and, and maybe the Rockies. With the Bakken, of course, you have to consider the fate of the Dakota Access Pipeline, which could be an open question right now. And then there are certain unbuilt projects that may be uncertain, also servicing some of that mid-continent crude. So it may be that some of these distressed assets could be more likely fitted for private equity. Uh, there are a number of private equity companies that exist just to buy different assets that may or may not be related, which is where some of this troubled stuff could go. But those aren't necessarily going to be, you know, multi-billion dollar deals like Chevron's and they buy assets. It could be certain assets and, and certain fields, gathering systems or, or midstream assets um, out of bankruptcy. So it does seem that in the U.S., corporate goals have shifted from large growth to refocusing on smaller production growth and putting the rest of their cash towards dividends to shareholders. Uh, so growth for the sake of growth may be over for now, but you never know when that could change in the future. Yes, it will definitely be interesting to see how the U.S. shale industry evolves from here. Thanks for taking the time to join our podcast today, Amanda and Alex. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, Jessica. For more news and analysis on U.S. crude oil markets, consider subscribing to our Argus Americas crude service. You can find more information on the service at www.argusmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to your joining us on the next episode of The Crude Report.